Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. And tonight I'm really excited to have as my guests Celeste and Danielle. Danielle Harrell and Celeste Hirschman are sex and relationship coaches who have created and trained people in the Somatica Method, which is a cutting-edge, hands-on, experiential approach to learning, growth, and healing around sex and relationships. Welcome to the show, Celeste and Danielle. Thank you. Thank, thank you. So glad to have you. So I've Great been be hearing here. about you guys for a long time, like maybe at least 10 years. I remember when you had a class on teaching men to be better lovers. So maybe tell, tell us a little bit about your story, um, how you ended up coaching together as a, a female partnership team, and um, how long you've been doing this. Sure. Uh, we met in the sexological bodywork training. So Danielle was getting her PhD in human sexuality studies, and I had just finished my master's program and wanted something that was more experiential and hands-on because mine was very academically focused. And um, and so Danielle and I met in the in the sexological bodywork certification, and we um, we just uh, one day I think I just said, hey, we should do a workshop together. And you know, Danielle's an amazing woman. She's a She's a, she makes things happen. So I was like making a casual idea and she was like, we will do a workshop, which was awesome. So we did our men's, uh, we did our men's become an extraordinary lover workshop. That was the first um, thing that we did together. And it was just like, I think for both of us, it was like, wow, we have arrived at what we are meant to do. So awesome. And how long ago was that that you were teaching the men's workshop? Oh, was that so we started in 2006. This was our first, I remember March 2006, our first men's workshop. Mm. Yeah. Great. So that was while. 12 years ago. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> awesome. Um, so since you know the primary focus of this show is ethical non-monogamy and open relationship, um, do either of you have any personal experience in um, Non-monogamy? Yeah. Yes. I'm in a non-monogamous relationship for, um, what, 12 years? Yes, something mm-hmm. like that. And it's wonderful, and I love it. Both my husband and me, we love it a lot. It's, we, it really works well, a core belief system in life about freedom. So, you know, support each other and being who we, who we want to be and who we are. So, yeah. Excellent. Cool. And how about you, Celeste? Yeah, I've basically done a few bouts of monogamy, but have largely been <laughs> in open relationships since I uh, <laughs> since I was about 22. Um, I came uh-huh. out as bisexual in college, and so when I started, I was dating women in college, and when I started dating men and having long-term relationships with men again afterwards, I said, you know, I'm still going to want to be with women. So that was kind of how... It started me being in open relationships, and then over time, I also had experiences where I was with a partner and then had both male and female lovers. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. And so, uh, you know, when, when you, I'm sure you have people telling you in your life, you know, people say, oh, open relationships don't work, or I've never heard any of them that work before. Um, you're, you obviously are proving them wrong. So what do you normally say to people when they say things like that to you? Either one of you can answer. Celeste, do you want to? (laughs) Celeste, you can go now. Well, I think yours works really well, so maybe you should go. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I tell people, (laughs) 
So I tell people that, like, honestly, the open being in open relationship for me and in, in, in my relationship has been extremely successful and very positive experience. I think there are challenges in in monogamy and challenges in non-monogamy and there's like relationships are challenging no matter how you look at it people need to navigate so many different things in relationships from who does the dishes where do we sleep at night do we how do we like to cuddle to who we want to have sex with how many children we want to have how do we you know how do we parent there's so many different things that people need to navigate in relationships and i think that asking for people to do so many things um, ask you know, like to have one partner to facilitate all those things is just really hard and like a little bit not realistic. So I look at this as you know, it's just an amazing opportunity to meet different people and have different relationships. The same way that I want to have different friends that provide for mm-hmm. me with different uh, experiences, I want to have different lovers um, that provide for me different experiences. Thank you. And I'm sure we. And I know everybody only- who. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Celeste. Oh, I was just going to say, and I'm sure that we won't be the first people who say this on the show, but you know, monogamy never gets blamed for for a relationship falling apart. Um, whereas I think open relationships do get blamed, but I know a lot of relationships that have been ruined by monogamy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like we just have this belief that like monogamy is the norm, and so the other thing has to prove itself. But both, mm-hmm. like Danielle said, each one has its challenges, and sometimes. Um, open relationships work, work for people. Sometimes monog- monogamous relationships work for people, and it's just very different. Excellent point. Thank you for that. So, Danielle, I know everybody who practices non-monogamy has their own unique way of doing it. So can you share with us um, what what yours looks like? Um, yeah, we basically, I don't know, like it's it's so... It's, it flows so well. I don't know what to say much. We really honest with each other and share as much as we want to share. And um, uh, we each have lovers and sometimes we share lovers and it feels great. Like there's not a lot of, um, we have a lot of uh, agreements and understanding in the way that we relate to non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Do you have any rules? Like, it sounds like your, your relationship is similar to mm-hmm. mine, where really the only rule is if you, um, in my relationship, the only rule is if you have a slip with um, with barriers, or you you know you do something unsafe, then just let me know before you have sex with me. <laughs> um, that's our only one hundred percent rule. The rest is all just be nice, be kind be considerate of each other's heart. So it sounds like you kind of have a similar kind of setup or do you have more agreements than that? No, that's pretty much the setup. But I think we also have a very shared uh, priorities in life. And I think for us that makes uh, a big difference because we both share, we both very strong believe in, you know, I really like to be parents and we spend a lot of Mm -hmm. time doing that. So I think that's the priority for both of us. And lovers mm-hmm. come like family first, lovers second. That's what we are. Of course. <laughs> How yeah. old are your children? Uh, sixteen and twenty. Oh, okay. Excellent. Good yeah. job. Yeah. We still some, very much. Yeah. We, yes. <laughs> we still really want to be around them, and they want to be around us. So yeah. <laughs> That's a good Every, sign. <laughs> they, yeah, when they get in the picture. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your work. Um, You say that your method is hands-on and experiential. What does that mean exactly? It means that instead of just talking about, you know, how to be more sensual, for example, we actually would teach um, our clients how, either if they're working one-on-one with us as an individual, how to give and receive touch, and we would show on their bodies, and they can practice on our bodies. It is a clothes-on practice, um, but there's two-way touch, and with couples, we can teach them to, you know, touch each other or to bring different kinds of seduction or erotic energy, and we also practice emotional connection and sort of talking about feelings really honestly between ourselves and our clients as well. 
Excellent. Um, yeah, I saw your video on your website where you say you have your clients do the homework there in your office rather than uh, expecting them <laughs> to find time to do it at home. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's beyond time because many times what we see is if we send people, if you send people without them practicing in the office to do it at home, they just don't do it it's because they get mm-hmm. they they hit the same issues that they hit that makes uh, the obstacles that they hit that brought them to our offices. So if we just send them to go and do it at home, many times they'll be like, mm, you know, I, I feel the same discomfort. So we definitely try it in the office so they'll have a successful experience and we can see where they get stuck and help them out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on the spot. What What would you say are like three things that you teach? Let's start with men. Let's pick on men first. What are three things that you teach um, so that men can be better lovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for men, firstly, we teach them a lot how to um, be really present and connected and attuned to the pace of their partner and breathe mm-hmm. while they're touching so that they can kind of feel, is their partner actually getting aroused in the experience? Um, also, we help them have a consent conversation so that they can um, check and make sure that the person is interested in continuing on and how to how to have that conversation in a way that can keep the flow of the erotic energy going. Um, and then we mm-hmm. teach them like the the hottest kinds of touch, right? Like we teach them how to do like a really light, sexy feather touch, and we teach them how to really grab mm-hmm. in a way that shows desire and passion. So those are some examples of. Uh, what we might teach a man about how to be a better lover. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, that's really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was I was going to ask you a follow-up question about that, um, but I lost my thought. So let's, let's have Danielle answer. Um, what are three things that you teach women um, for how to be a better lover? Yeah, so what we find with women many times is they need to first connect to themselves and their own sexuality and then their own erotic energy. So we teach them how to be, we call it selfish, bossy, and, and desirous. Like really teach them how to learn what is it that they want to learn. We call it active receiving, learn to respond in a way that brings them more touch, more pleasure, more um, more uh, sensation, and we definitely teach them what's on the menu because many women don't know exactly what they want and how to communicate it. So we ex- teach them what's on the menu, give them some ideas, help them see what is it that they want, and also uh, how to communicate it to their partners. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I'm in the middle of writing an article called Using Your Words because I get so frustrated how we've all grown up in this culture that teaches us not to talk during sex, that somehow that's distracting. So, um, and like you said, so women don't even, yeah, a lot of times women don't even know what they want. So how can they even ask for it if they don't know what they want? So there's all this like guessing going on or like doing research with porn and thinking that's how, what women want. So do you teach people to talk and, and do you come up against people's resistance to having you know, giving feedback, sharing what they want during the sex act. Yeah, we definitely teach people to talk during sex, and we teach them how to do it in a way that's, you know, sexy and, you know, because it's not just, I mean, it might be asking for what you want. It might be sexy talk, which some people call dirty talk, but it doesn't have to be dirty, right? It can be like, oh, my God, you're the most amazing kisser, or I love it when you hold my waist that way. And when you're giving people verbal feedback, you're telling them, like, this is something I like. You might want to try to do it again instead of having to kind of pop into your head and get very intellectual about it. So we help people Mm -hmm. communicate their desires and their boundaries in a way, communicate their desires in a sexy way and their boundaries in a way that's, like, loving and redirecting um, so that, again, so the flow of the experience can still happen, but you can keep having hotter and hotter sex because you're continuing to learn each other throughout the experience. Mm-hmm. And do you teach men to ask women what they want? Because that's something I find often lacking is that men don't – I tell men to make it really safe for the woman to tell you what she wants. Um, so is that part of your education is to 
teach him how to create a safe space so that she doesn't feel like she's going to hurt his fragile ego? <laughs> well, I have to say that I, um, I've had sex with a lot of women and I, I ask, <laughs> always ask women what they want. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> unfortunately I don't get a lot of information in those um, in, when I ask that. I mean, I think if a man asked me mm. what I wanted you would probably get more information than a person could want. But if I, I've, I mean, I, you know, I've probably had, I've probably had sex with a hundred women and I can tell you, uh, uh, you know, the amount of them who had any very specific information to me, I could count on one hand. Um, hmm. So we definitely teach men to ask for what they want, but we also teach them to read nonverbal cues, to give multiple hmm. choice to do it in ways that are more specific and um, bring, you know, maybe bring more information and give them a big toolkit about what kinds of things turn women on because they aren't always going to get information when they ask that question. Really good point. Thank you for saying that. So, like, what would be a multiple choice that a man could give a woman when they're in the middle of making love? He can whisper something in her ear that's more passionate or more romantic and can say, do you love it? Do you like it when I say, you know, like that can be even around words. I'm big on words, so that's always laughed at me that for me sex is like half an hour just talking and then we get to sex, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's something about, I really love words, so I'm, I would choose words if given the choice. Uh, but you can, multiple choice can be like, oh, do you like it when I touch you like this or grab you like that? Or do you like it when, mm. do you like it when I call you, you know, my little kitten? Or do you like me to command you around? Like, you know, so we we teach them different kinds of options, which is mostly what we call um, you know, like the the when we work with men and women, we can help them have a, a, a big toolkit and to draw from different kinds of hot sexual movies, and then we also help them see what specifically they want, um, and then they can work with those this toolkit to check with a lover if there will be some option that's going to be more sexy than the other. But general terms usually don't work. People need very specific you know, term like specific examples to see if they like to hear it or not, or mm-hmm. they like to be touched in some way or not. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so, Celeste, have you had thoughts or a theory around why so many women don't know how to say what they want? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I actually feel some hope because I think things are changing now in terms of slut shaming, but so much of us grew up under the regime of slut shaming where, asking for what you want means like you're an overtly sexual person. And so I think on the one hand, women just don't ask for what they want because it makes them seem slutty, unfortunately. And I think also just even before that, just thinking, oh, no, if people think I'm sexual, that's bad. Women are much more waiting for other people to bring them out sexually than really getting a good sense of what they want. So I also hear so many women in my office say, yeah, I mean, I had this amazing lover and like, he was totally great for me, but I don't know what he did and I wouldn't know how to ask for it again. You know, it was sort of like, just like it just happened and it's not something that they're consciously thinking, oh, I really like this and I really like this. Boy, I would love it if somebody would do that to me again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like right. they get into a following role instead of a leadership role and it's much more passive mm-hmm. as opposed to asking for really asking for what they want. Yeah, I appreciate what you said about slut-shaming because I think that's such a big part of of women not being able to own that we're sexual beings and we, we also want sex, but we want it to be good. We want it to be a certain way. And I think about, you know, teenage girls, if they get into a sexual situation with a boy and they have a condom in their purse, then the boy will spread rumors about her so she can't even travel with a condom with her which then sets them up for unsafe sex and STDs and getting pregnant and so forth. So, Yeah, so women do need to navigate this very challenging terrain between like, I know what I want, I'm a sexual person, and also how do I not overwhelm my partner or the date that I'm having by being too sexual. So it's like like a really, it still is, the slut-shaving still exists. I hope it gets better. Um, I'm not really sure about that but maybe. 
<laughs> Honestly, yeah, just like, I, think... I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I feel like nothing is actually changing, you know. Like, mm. the next generation is as slut-shamed as, you know, the one before it, so. Mm. Well, we have little bubbles of, you know, consciousness and open-mindedness, like here in the Bay Area, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm dating a lot of, um, I'm dating a lot of younger men, or maybe the better word would be to say, like, I have been in a relationship with a younger man, and I'm having sex with a lot of younger men, and I notice that while they are maybe a little bit surprised by how um, clear I am about what I want, they don't... I don't get the feeling, and I even talk with a lot of them about slut shaming, and they're like, "Yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand why people do that, and and it's terrible for men and terrible for women." So it feels much more like, "Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me." Than than when I talk to people who are older, who have more, I don't know, grown up under a stronger regime around that. So I do have some hope that it's changing, but you know, maybe it's the girls who are shaming each other. I don't know. I'm talking to the the guys so I'm not sure yeah I know mm-hmm. <laughs> I know where you do your research I do think that girls still shame each other and there's a little bit like of a random word a random use in schools of the slut word that has you know it's still like makes I'm talking about high school but I hope college is different in that mm-hmm. way yeah, and I think, yeah, like I said, I think it depends on what part of the world you live in. Um, some areas mm-hmm. don't have any sex education, and there's just a lot of ignorance in early pregnancy, and then other areas have great sex education, and um, the, the young people learn the options, such as that open relationship is actually an option. Um, maybe not. I mean, for many of us, it didn't occur to us until we were adults, and we learned somebody else was doing it, and we were like, oh, you can do that? <laughs> Yeah, so just giving them the and idea. And I also feel, okay. I also feel, sorry, I also feel that young people really have much more openness when it comes to gender identity. The openness is huge now, and definitely in, in the Bay Area, people like talk about gay, being gay, and being queer, and being trans, and being you know so many terms, and they really, really talk about it with so much more acceptance. So definitely this is a big change that I'm seeing um, that is in the forefront now. Right. So also I was perusing your website and I saw something that you call your hottest sexual movie. Can you explain what that is? Absolutely. So yeah, the idea is that we all have, our own specific things that turn us on the most and they make us feel the way that we want to feel during sex. And for everybody that has its own flavor to it. And so instead of just, I think a lot of people hope like just because I love this person, we're going to fall into bed and everything is going to work. And we get so many couples where, you know, maybe it did for six months or a year, even a year and a half during the honeymoon period, because there's a lot of other kinds of lubrication like newness and uncertainty. Um, But then after a while, they're sort of sitting there with each other and they're like, yeah, I don't think we have, we're very compatible sexually. And instead of just giving up at that point, we really help people figure out what is it that turns them on the most and articulate it and see if they want to guest star in each other's movies and take turns and see if there's bridges between their movies, at least sort of empathy and understanding and non-judgment that they can give each other around what their turn-ons are. So to really have a more uh, overt, concrete conversation. And we feel like the movie analogy is really good because it's like, yeah, some people like you know, comedies and some people like horror films and, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean anything about you, but let's see how we want to, you know, bridge those things. Right. Excellent. Um, so that brings me to my next subject that I wanted to talk about, and that's fantasies. So I'm, I'm hearing that your, your hottest sexual movie is more about what you actually want to do in bed with someone but fantasies, we don't always want to actually act them out. They're just more hot. The idea of it is hot, and we may not necessarily want to do it like a rape fantasy or a gangbang or something. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is, 
the issue of like how vulnerable it feels to share your fantasies with a partner. I mean, as open as I am sexually, I still feel embarrassed to tell my partner the full range of my sexual fantasies. So can you talk about what's going on there? Like why it's so hard to, to share that and, and own the fantasies that we have? Yeah, because the fantasies are the most vulnerable parts of our the way we think, and they're very exposing. The minute we share them, you know, it's 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 so personal. This is the thing that we really. It, and when we talk about how to sexual movie, it's not only about what we want to do, but we don't always want to do that. But sometimes we want to play it out in our in our conversation or in our fantasies that will help us get turned on more. Uh, even if we don't do the acts in our fantasy. Um, and I think it just puts you in a very exposed place and people can not always, you know, people can judge you or the fear of being judged or the fear of being um, criticized or what people are going to think about me with those fantasies, you know. In our fantasy, we can go really to the edge of the feeling that we want to have. Mm-hmm. And that's vulnerable. Right. Exactly, yeah. And I've actually had, you know, when I was younger, like in college or my 20s, really negative sexual experiences, but then I would fantasize about them later. So is that uh-huh. a way to kind of gain control back over a bad experience? Yeah, I think it's really normal, and especially if some of those experiences, because sometimes, like, what turns us on in our head, our fantasy structure, isn't necessarily, like you said, what we want to happen out in the world, but sometimes some of the things that turn us on happen out in the world, and it doesn't feel good, like we don't like it, or there's something, like for me, one of the things that can be arousing to me is disgust, so if something is overwhelming me in a kind of a disgusting way, I can get turned on by it, and that might be something Mm -hmm. where I'm like, wow, that's you know, <laughs> that's intense. Like maybe I didn't even like it. Maybe I wish it didn't happen, but later I'm like, and, and maybe I even like was able to have an orgasm in that situation. And then later I'm like, wow, you know, that just thinking about that again turns me on. And it's because like what turns us on is so different and unique. Like that's just one piece, one of the things that turns me on, but there's many different things that turn me on. So it could be that there's pieces of what happened to you that also are part of your fantasy structure. And so you know, when you think about them later, you can feel aroused. And I think it is very vulnerable. And one of the things in Somatica, I would say we are ruthless de-shamifiers. We really want to take Mm. all of the shame out of whatever turns people on, celebrate what turns people on, help them make decisions about what they want to enact in their life and what they don't, but also make a safe space where people can say, yeah, like I just said, I'm turned on by disgust or I'm turned on by feeling degraded or, you know, the things that are much more taboo to say than just like, yeah, I like romance. You know, everybody's like, oh, that's fine. You know? <laughs> but the other uh-huh. things that have much more, you know, like much more social stigma or charge to them. Yeah. And I've also met a lot of people who are into kink who had, you know, some kind of abusive, um, sexually abusive childhood and they've kind of flipped around that behavior and, and made it their turn on, and they found that that was a way to heal or to gain control over it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Definitely. Yeah, maybe what I want to say is that we all absolutely, because that's exactly what creates our turn-ons. It's usually, it's, it's, it's kind of like maybe annoying for people to hear that, but our turn-ons are stemmed usually from this feeling that something that was highly charged and connected with emotional emotional experience um, can, is usually the thing that's going to create this uh, hottest sexual movie or co-erotic theme. And um, I do want to mention Jack Morin, who wrote this great book uh, about co-erotic theme. And um, he talks about this combination of like a very intense experience that afterwards becomes something that you keep processing this is how, we don't choose what will turn us on and the things that happen to us when we have no not much say many times about it they're going to be the ones that are going to shape our erotic life and we all about like mm-hmm. let's embrace it instead of try fighting it or feeling ashamed about it let's make it hotter mm-hmm. and enjoy it and i think there are two ways to go right 
like there's two ways you go can ahead, go. Go you ahead. can go with uh, like a healing fantasy. One way that people do it is through a healing fantasy. So if I was totally ignored, I might want to be like revered or worshipped. But it can be reenactment with agency. So if I was spanked, um, I might want to say like, you know what? That happened to me and now um, I get full choice over my body and one of the things that I want to happen to my body is for it to be spanked because it's an intense feeling it feels good it reminds me of a very high charge and so we call that like reenacting with agency and that's one of the ways that people re-empower themselves around situations that they didn't have any control over Mm -hmm. right so um, Danielle can you repeat the name of the book that you mentioned in case people want to look that up um, you can Jack more in the erotic mind. Um, the erotic mind. Book. Okay. Yes. Okay. And in great. our book, um, making love real, we talk about uh, how to take this nugget, the erotic mind feeling and how to create different kinds of hot sexual movies around it. So, um, we build on that Jack Morin's idea. Awesome. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Celeste and Danielle, longtime sex and relationship therapists and coaches, and also the creators of the Somatica Method. Um, and I know you train other people to become sex and relationship coaches too. Um, can you tell me, now I thought that you used to teach sexological body work now are these two different things or did one evolve into the other no we did used to teach sexological body work and that was created by joseph kramer and um Mm. as we were teaching sexological body work and working with clients out in the world what we found was that sexological body work is a wonderful modality to get in touch with your own erotic experience and um sort of like pleasure in your body and all of those kinds of things But so many people were coming to us and saying, like, we need help around our intimate relationships. We want to learn about how to turn somebody else on or how to talk about boundaries or how to deal with emotional repair. And so we developed Somatica as a way to sort of bridge, you know, sexological body work on one side, talk therapy on the other. And we thought there's this big open space here where people need to learn experientially how to be in erotic and emotional connection. And that was how Somatica mm-hmm. was born. Excellent. And how long have you been teaching that um, that new method that you created? Six Since years. Six years? Yeah. Yeah. Six years. Oh, great. Excellent. Um, so... You you talk about on your website how to move beyond routine quote marriage sex. <laughs> um, so what or marriage non sex? You mean <laughs> marriage non sex? Yeah. So um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna move move into more conversation about non monogamy in a second. But for now, let's just say that the couple wants to stay together. They don't want to open their relationship. Um, what are some of the things that you teach couples to do to uh, reignite the passion in their relationship? Yeah, so many times the way we start, we do get many couples who are of no interest in open their relationship, and we definitely help them see what is possible in their relationship. We explore where is it that the relationship got um, where is the stuckness? Is this on the emotional front? Is this on the sexual front? Uh, and many people go to therapy and resolve a lot of the emotional conversation that happens between them, but still don't get to the sex to the sex part because sex requires a different conversation. So then they end up in our offices and other somatica coaches, um, and then. We really help them see what is their movie and what is it that turns them on and help them see where they can star in each other's movie, guest star in each other's movie, and how they can give and what turns them on about it and what they're willing willing and excited to play and what is it that they're not excited to play and really help them to understand the movies and to see what is possible for them to give each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, so then let's talk about why couples who are married and don't want to get divorced might want to consider opening their marriage. What would you say to them? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have this idea, like, the only reason to open your marriage is, like, if you're having great great sex already and you want to enhance it, and we completely disagree. I think there's so many reasons that you might want to open your marriage, and one of them is exactly that. Sometimes the people that you, the person that you married is the person who you are family with, like, they're your partner in life and in, you know, maybe home ownership and having kids and all of the things that are about the familial connection, but that either you never had a sexual sexual spark or it has gone away and you really, they realize like, you're not the person that I want to be my lover anymore, but you're still the person that I want to be my family. And I think so many families are broken up because we don't have this option as like a general rule in our culture. Whereas if we say, okay, so let's not be lovers, let's go out and find lovers out in the world, but let's still be family, that some people, that works really well for them. And they can separate those two things and support each other in getting those needs met. Good. Well, you're singing my tune. I just gave a talk last week at an online business summit around this very topic of um, there's a myth that relationships are supposed to be perfect or that um, we shouldn't open our relationship to fix a broken marriage, but relationships are multifaceted and there's a lot of different aspects to them. And there's no reason why a whole decade, several decades long relationship should break up just because the one aspect of sexuality isn't a good match. Um, I also feel that it is like a little bit of uh... You know, like in so many ways, we open a relationship in other ways. We just look at sex as the definition of open relationship. But if my husband had to provide me with how much emotional conversations I need to have, he would not survive that at all. You know, like I need a village to hold me emotionally. So I think we open our, you know, and some people, you know, they like to play golf and their partner will never do that with them. So I think there's like this, like, a little bit like, um, I forgot the word, I'm sorry, I'm, the Hebrew comes to my brain now. <laughs> I just blocked it. But a little bit of, of like, only if it's sex, it's not working. That's the only way that we outsource. But it's not true. We outsource anyway in many ways. And sex is just one of those ways. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. Um, but so many people in this situation, the the man, oftentimes the man will, um, have an affair or see a sex worker, and then if he gets caught, there's so much shame that he's brought to his yeah. wife and his family and himself and all this shame because he thinks that he can't talk to his wife about it. He thinks he can't address that she would just never go for it. Um, so what, what do you do with couples where um, one of them is feeling unsatisfied with their sex, sex life with their partner but they feel like the other partner will just never go for it, never go for opening well, the marriage. I mean, when it, if we have a couple, if we're doing work with couples, then we, you know, we put it on the menu. And even if people say, I don't want that at all, at least we say, you know, this is another option. And at some point we put open relationship on the menu because at least if people are realizing I'm choosing this option, it means mm-hmm. I'm choosing, for example, to not have sex with my partner and to make them not have sex with anyone else, right? So it's sort of if that if that's on the table, if that option is on the table, you have to sort of realize, oh, I'm actually making it so that you know somebody can't do something that they might want to do and that they could do. Um, and then, but I, I really have to say, Sumati, that um, men are in a difficult place, and some women too, uh, who they might just by asking for an open relationship, their partner might slip out on them. I don't think it's completely paranoid to think that. And so I do think some people go underground and then it can cause a huge uh, rift in the trust if the other person finds out. And some people, that's how they make their marriages last and their partner never finds out. I don't, if, if somebody wants to talk about that as an option, I will usually say it's a very high likelihood that your partner is going to find out. And if they find mm-hmm. out, it's going to really breach the trust in the relationship. But I also have mm-hmm. compassion for why some people outsource dishonestly because of the, you know, the terror that sometimes bringing up 
Um, and the fear of loss, you know, like I had one client, he's like, I'm going to lose my child. Like, I think my wife is going to be really upset with me if I'm going to be with anybody else and I can't ask her. And, you know, she might be very vindictive and try to make it so that I never get to see my kid again, right? And so I think people are thinking about very intense things when they're making these decisions, right? It's not it's not usually frivolous in my experience. No, you're right. And not only could they um, threaten the child, but they could also threaten, you know, bringing down their financial empire, <laughs> So, um, right. yeah, that can be a, a true terror for a lot of men. Yeah. Um, but I saw on your website that you've actually worked with at least one couple um, who one of them had cheated and helped them repair that and get to where they actually could have an honest open relationship. Now, that must have been a lot of hard work. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, we work with many couples in different kinds of situations like that. Some went to, uh, some started with cheating. Some started with um, um, starting to talk about options. Um, I think it's a it's it's um it's a challenging but very powerful process to go with a couple into it, it, this conversation. Lead to deeper 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 understanding, deeper ability to see the other person for who they are. And really, I think by the end of it, if that's a, if that's a positive process, uh, to really have deeper intimacy, deeper, bigger, mm-hmm. um, more love for, right. real love for each other. Yeah. Of course. But when you, had a, you have a couple where one of them has cheated and then you get them to a place where they can move into an ethical open relationship, I can imagine it would take some time to repair the trust because ethical non-monogamy requires a lot of trust. So what, did it take a long it, time for them to, yeah? I would say it takes years, like usually two, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or something like that, right? Because the first thing that you have to do is you have to get out the cheating and then the person who has been hurt, you know, well, often they've both been hurt, right? A lot of times a person cheats because they have felt rejected for so long. So, but the, mm-hmm. usually the person who's been cheated on needs to get out their hurt first. Um, and then sometimes there's space for the other person to get out their hurt around the rejection. You want to try to make that space. And it can be like, you know, a six-month process of just getting the person who was cheated on, just having them that them feel like their partner really gets it and really empathizes with them, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, then maybe the partner gets to say, you know, yeah, it was really hard for me and I needed something else and I couldn't talk to you about it and I get how badly um, my choice to do this behind your back hurt you and I want to be able to tell you, like, what was hard about it for me. So we're creating a space for that. And then sometimes at the end of that, people really say, like, I don't want to go... I can't ever go back to that old way. Like, and and then they and then some of them make a choice. Okay, we're going to do this, and we're going to stay together, and we're going to try. And I've also um, helped people navigate or negotiate unilateral non-monogamy, where one of the partners uh, is monogamous and the other partner is non-monogamous. Um, so I feel like it's every different configuration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I like and what we you really said look at about. It as the- Go ahead, Danielle. I just want to add that we, we, we really look at it, there's no right solution for everyone. And our job is to really help the couple craft their solution that works in their relationship with their unique personalities and their unique movies and their unique, you know, belief systems. Right. Just like you said earlier, you give them multiple choices or a menu and let them decide what's best fit for them. Exactly. But I like yeah. what you said about um, giving the person about six months or so to um, get over the hurt from having been cheated on. And can you talk a little bit about how you teach people to hold space that long? Because I think it's really important for if one partner is going to tell the other that they've cheated or one partner is going to tell the other that they really would like to consider an open relationship, they may have to hold the space for the other's reaction for a really long time, like, you know, sometimes months. So how yeah. do you teach somebody to hold space for that long a period of time? 
Well, firstly, I prepare them for it. And, you know, it does happen sometimes that like a couple will come to me and then we have a policy where we don't tell couples each other secrets. So we'll work with the couple as a couple and then we'll talk to them individually. And sometimes the in the individual session, an affair will come out. So they'll tell me that they're having an affair, but they won't have told their partner yet. That can mm-hmm. be... Um, that has pluses and minuses, but one of the pluses is that I can say, okay, well, if you're considering telling them, you know, and again, they might find out anyway, so sometimes it can be helpful to tell, I definitely would, um, t- I would definitely tell you that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a long process for them to be able to share their feelings with you, and the more that you can not be defended and know inside of yourself that you did what you did because you felt desperate and there wasn't anything, you didn't feel like you had any other options, um, but that you don't need to say, you don't need to make excuses or explanations to the other person. You need to really just try to get what it felt like to find this thing out and how dropped they felt and how terrified they might feel or whatever. There's multiple feelings, you know, betrayed. Um, and to try to just really extend to getting that feeling and to know that, you know, they're going to have to talk about it for a while and they're going to say the same things to you over and over and over again. <laughs> and and I'm always mm-hmm. gauging with the partner with the partner who's holding space, like how much tolerance do they have? Because some can listen a lot and really hold the other person for a long time. And for others, they get so defended that they don't really listen well. So, you know, you just have to see what people what people's capacity is. Right, and yeah, that's the the biggest thing is that people get defended. Um, so would you recommend that they maybe see you privately or have another friend that they can get empathy from while they're, because you kind of have to put your own needs aside for a while while the person who's more triggered goes through their process. So do you recommend that they get help or listening somewhere else outside their relationship? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I really believe that in order to process this hurt, uh, again, people need a village, and many times the person that they really want the person that, you know, like we call the person who transgressed to do the listening, and they can, but many times it is really important for them to also process it outside of that. Um, decouple them and really let them share their feelings and share, and like it's really it's a grief process. And they need mm-hmm. to, like, let it out and cry it and grieve it and be angry so many times. So we definitely recommend that they'll either see the coach or us individually and, ha- and have friends and, you know, have multiple places to, um, to offload the feeling because that's what really helps eventually release it and regulate the limbic system for them to be able to come to, okay, I, I – I get it and I feel it and I'm ready to to think about what to do next. And that's not something – and I want to say it comes in waves. It's not like I'm done. Sometimes you feel like you've, you're done and then there's another wave that happens later as well. So it's an ongoing process um, to really mm-hmm. do it well. Yeah. Great. Thank you. I like how you say it takes a village. Were you going to say something, Celeste? Yeah, um, it looks like somebody wrote on Facebook and a question, and I was wondering if we could address it. Should I read it yeah, out? Yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Sure. So it says, um, it says Somat- somatic existed long before Celeste and Danielle. I know peeps who were studying somatic work long before Celeste and Danielle were even teaching psychological body work. Please elaborate on your show. And I just wanted to say that I make a distinction between somatic work. Somatic, the word somatic just means of the body. So many people use somatic, somatically based methods, like help people tune into their body and their sensations. Um, we coined the term somatica with an A on the end, and it's kind of like it just names our specific method of sex and relationship coaching, which has a somatic foundation to it because we don't believe that people can learn anything about sex and relationships without bringing their body into the experience. So somatics have existed for a long time and many different kinds of therapies are adopting a somatic approach. Um, But somatica is the method of sex and relationship coaching that we created that's experiential, hands-on, practical, relational um, sex and relationship coaching. So I just wanted to, to make sure that we address that. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. I'm glad somebody asked a question on Facebook. That's great. 
Um, so how can your training be helpful for people who are interested in exploring open relationships? So uh, do you want to take it, Celeste? No, go ahead. Okay, so the training, um, in the training, people go through, and the training is both for personal growth and for people who want to become sex and relationship coaches in the somatica method. Um, and um, people get to really practice with different people in the training and work through whatever it feels like to practice with different people in the training in a very boundaried, supported environment. Um, so in some ways, it's kind of help you, you, you get to be in relationship with different people and bring erotic energy with different people in the training. So for some people, it can be like a toe dipping, right? And a lot of times when we work with clients around opening their relationship, we talk about toe dipping instead of just like diving in the deep end and going and having sex with somebody else, see what it's like to just, you know, talk to your partner about who you're attracted to or, you know, just take it a little bit more slowly. And so sometimes people, couples, we wouldn't come into somatica and be able to practice with a whole bunch of different people and process through it with their partner, which can be really powerful. We also, it also brings an attitude of like, trying out intimacy with different people, as Danielle was saying. So I think it really gives you a taste of what that's like to not just focus all of your erotic and emotional intimacy on one person because you're sharing it with so many different people in the training. Mm-hmm. And how, how would they be sharing intimacy in the training? I'm imagining it's more of an energy thing with maybe some um, touching outside the erogenous zones with clothes on, or is it more intimate than that? Um, it does have clothes on, but it it is all over body touching, although people aren't taking mm-hmm. each other to orgasm. So um, mm-hmm. we kind of joke around that it's like it's like without kissing, you're having like a hot make-out session. So that's about as far oh. as that goes. But it, but it can be very – so it can be very intense and super sexy, like, you know, yeah. throwing each other and, up against the wall in passionate ways and, you know, playing with – and also bringing different kinds of emotional intimacy, just being vulnerable and honestly talking about how you feel towards people um, in the course of the training, right? Whether you feel attracted mm-hmm. to them or you feel scared of them or, you know, hurt by them or whatever the feelings are that come up. Mm-hmm. And also sharing the fantasies with each other, which is, again, very vulnerable, you get to share your your sexual psychic with someone and see how they perceive you or how they receive you with those parts. Mm-hmm. Right. So I could imagine um, a lot of deep friendships and really sweet connections happening. Um, are there jealousies and conflicts that come up in the class from the intimacy that happens with the other people? There can be, for sure. I mean, we, you know, and that's one of the things that it's a really supportive environment to actually work through that because, for example, if you're a couple in the training, you're not in the same small group, and so you have a supportive group to help you process through that and really take ownership. For example, you know, I'll just be very honest and vulnerable. I have been in open relationships for, as I said, you know, over 20 years, and I um, I still get jealous and insecure and you know, because I have abandonment trauma and it gets activated. And so to learn how to be able to talk about those feelings and to not feel like it's wrong to have those responses, but to take ownership and help your partner learn how to care for you when you have those responses, all of that is built into the work that we do in Somatica. Then we have a whole module around repair. We have a whole module that we teach repair and how to really repair hurt feelings and how to repair, repair, uh, let's not say hurt feelings, let's repair hurt interactions um, and come into connection through sharing feelings. Um, So the whole fourth module is all about that. But people get a lot of opportunity to work on their triggers, learn about their triggers, and work on reconnecting through triggers. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So when you talk about it takes a village, I can imagine people can add to their village by attending your training because of the deep bonding that comes through that process. I think that's one of the most amazing things about the training, and especially this last year, and so I feel like it's just going to continue to grow and grow, is that the Somatica community is becoming much larger, and everybody is 
not just having the training experience together, but we see people doing tons of practice groups at their house and going to social events together. And I see on Facebook, they've, you know, flown to a different state or a different country. And it's like, I'm visiting so-and-so from Somatica there. So it creates such a, a big space full of people who are um, conscious around sexuality, conscious about relationships and open relationships who can hold you when you feel fears coming up or when you need to process emotionally about whatever is going on for you. And to have a great time with people too. So it's people who are fun to, to spend time with and people who can be really emotionally supportive. Awesome. Um, so one last question before we go into you talking a little bit more about your work and your offerings. Um, if you have a couple come to you um, who has decided together that they want to open their relationship, but they don't know where to start, what would be some of the first steps you'd give them? Yeah, so we help them, again, the movie. It all goes back to the movie. We help them see what is it that they actually want to get out there and what is it that really excites them and turns them on. And then we help them dip their toe, maybe go to a meet and greet of a poly group or um, maybe go to a sex club and just watch and see how it feels like for them to connect around it um, and and uh, really help them explore their ways of try- what is it that excites them, excites them about opening the relationship and give them tools to go about it. Nice. Thank you. Anything else you want to add to that, Celeste? Um, No, I think that that pretty much explains it. I mean, I think the great thing about toe dipping is that that way, if you get some kind of trigger around it, you haven't gone so far that it feels like, oh, my God, this is too scary and I'm going to run away or stop this whole project. So you can kind of be like, okay, so... You know, I told my partner what was attractive to me about another person, and then they got kind of scared. And so we processed through it and got back to a place of trust and relaxation. So I think that toe-dipping process is a very, very helpful process. That is really great. Go ahead. That's a quickie on that, especially because we actually don't don't know what's going to trigger people, and something's going to be completely unexpected. So Mm -hmm. so the toe-dipping is very helpful there. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm going to borrow that term from you if you don't mind. Toe dipping is great. <laughs> sure. Of course. <laughs> okay, so Celeste and Danielle, it's fabulous having you on the show. The time just flew by, and we just have a couple more minutes left, and I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you, your website, um, or any, any other way you want to tell them how to reach you. And I believe you also have a gift for our listeners, so take it away. Yeah, so we have two um, two uh, intros coming up. Um, we have one coming up tomorrow at, is it 1230, Danielle? At, at noon, Pacific time. At noon. Um, we have a Zoom intro, so people from other countries or other states, or even if maybe you just can't make it to an in-person intro because you're in the Bay Area, but it's hard to do that, that you can get on Zoom online. So you can sign up on somatica.com. And um, then we'll send you the Zoom information, and then you can um, ask us questions and have a little bit of a taste of the experience of Somatica in that intro. And we also have an intro coming coming up on, is it April 7th? Yes. At 2 o'clock in San Francisco. At 2 o'clock in San Francisco um, in this beautiful house overlooking San Francisco. So it's going to be a really fun event where we take uh, a number of hours and really dive in and get some, again, some toe dipping into Somatica to get a taste for it. And that's a way that you can find out if the core training might be right for you. We have our core training where we train people both to be sex and uh, relationship coaches, but also to just if they want to do a deep dive into personal growth and transformation and have a huge community of loving people who are interested around sex and relationships, um, people um, can go and find out about our core training also on somatica.com. And we also have um, sex and relationship coaching offerings just for individuals and couples, and you can find all of that at celestandanielle.com. And, okay, great. Um, Samani, um, I have to be honest. I, I think you might have asked me about what our gift was when we were going to do the show before, but I'm not sure if I answered that question or what we said the gift was going to be, so I'm drawing a blank about the gift. My apologies. 
Oh, that's okay. We're out of time, but I really appreciate having you both on the show, and I wish you all the best. Okay. Thank, thank you. you so much okay. for having us. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we'll be speaking with Kevin Patterson, who is the founder of Poly Role Models. And it's just like it sounds, Poly Role Models. So please tune in next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time for Leading Edge Love Radio. Thank you for being with us tonight. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.